Hey folks, this is Jerry Steinberg. Hey folks, this is Jerry Steinberg, and I am your State of the U host today for State of the U's inaugural podcast. Uh, Joining us today is also going to be our recruiting guru, Cam Underwood. We're also going to have our local Miami contact, Mike Shea, who does all of our sideline work, and Mike Grunewald, an expert on defensive philosophy in college football. Hey, folks. Jerry Steinberg here. Are you guys with me? Yeah, what's going on, Jerry? Hey, Jerry. This is Mike Grunewald. Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining. Who else do we have on? Cam, right here. Hey, Cam. So, for the folks who will be listening to this, uh, Cam is our recruiting guru. He also handles our Twitter account. Uh, Cam, thanks for coming on. And uh, for the folks also listening... We also have Mike. Mike does a little bit of work uh, doing some defensive scouting, and uh, we welcome Mike as well. All right, so guys, uh, I'm going to start it out uh, first with talking about the National Signing Day class for 2014. And, Cam, I'm going to start with you. Uh, which players do you think highlight this class, and what areas in Miami maybe fail at, if any? And uh, what are you looking forward to the most with this class? Which players? Well, I mean, obviously, you got to start talking with Chad Thomas, um, five-star defensive end out of Miami, Booker T. Washington, the number one rated player in the class. Um, and, I mean, I think it's clear to see that we need help at pass rushing, and he gives us that help, and he's going to come in from day number one and play. Um, so, obviously, being able to get him in, uh, and I didn't buy into all of the – rumors and conjecture that he was looking elsewhere. Um, nothing that I'd heard or read or any conversations I've had with anybody uh, pointed that he was going to go anywhere but UM. So I was kind of, I was chill with it uh, throughout his whole process. But, I mean, he's the number one guy um, that is coming in in this class. Um, you know, we, we address the skill positions. We have, you know, uh, a lot of, well, one running back, five wide receivers, um, if everybody makes it in. Um, and a whole bunch of defense in the front seven. Um, so trying to use the old recruiting adage of, you know, if you have a problem, throw numbers at it, throw bodies at it, and that can help. So we're doing that. Um, and a couple other guys I really like, Treyon Gray. I don't know if he's going to qualify, but if he does, that's an absolute home run of a pickup uh, there. Casey McDermott, Trevor Darling, they're probably going to play early on offensive line also, uh, and that just helps us moving forward. You can't have a recruiting conversation, it seems, without talking about defensive tackles. And, yeah, Trevante Valentine uh, decided to go to LSU and not to Miami. Uh, But we did get Cortell Jenkins and Michael Weish and Calvin Hertzlew and uh, Anthony Moten. So we have four guys coming in who are very good. But, I mean, Trevante Valentine was far and away the best player that we were recruiting at that spot. And missing him, I mean, it matters. It just does. Uh. Cam, before I move on and ask Mike a little bit about the recruiting class, uh, how's your carpal tunnel? I mean, uh, <laughs> leading up to uh, National Signing Day, you did quite a bit of writing. Or is your is your arm feeling all right? Yeah, no, my my wrists are fine and everything. Um, you know, I, I comment and do a little stuff from time to time, but I really love the recruiting process. I, that's you know the first thing that I started blogging about, so uh, I love it. Uh, it was just a lot of work. You know, I think we put up 
17 articles and had over 50,000 words uh, between me and Joe and everybody who uh, chimed in with that. But, I mean, it, it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. Hey, Cam, we certainly appreciate having you on, all kidding aside. Uh, let, let me move on to Mike for a second. Uh, Mike, you've done a lot of work with us talking about how the defense is eventually going to shift kind of from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Uh, what, what do you see in the 2014 class that kind of progresses that evolution? Um, with this class, what I like is a lot of our really good players, and I'm sure Cam can speak to it too, a lot of the better ones signed early. So from what I gathered, when the recruiting process started to go, you know, later on in it, um, and we lost a couple of players, whether they wanted to leave and go other places or academic issues, um, we may have, like, tailed off there. But we really got a lot of our really good lockdown players we needed early. And one of them I looked at was Moten, and he's really, really good. He could play either defensive end in the 3-4 or even play a little bit of nose. But with, you know, White coming in, hurting Herlu, um, we may be able to move him, slide him outside, and it may be a little bit better. Um, what I saw, and we wrote about this early last year, is when going from the 4-3, you know, you kind of have a defensive end and you don't really know what to do with because they're more of, you know, gap control in the 3-4. So we saw more of like a stand-up end, like the Shaun Green. Um, but we had another defensive end, like Chicolo, who could play the 3-4, play, you know, with the hand down. So this year what I would expect, and this, this, you know, what I would guess would be more of, more legitimate three down linemen, you know, four, you know, linebackers and coming from other positions. So, you know, Thomas, you may see it like the stand-up end, kind of like what Shaun Green did. And to be honest, he, he may be a very good upgrade to that. We'll have to see when he gets on. Um, but I'm going to expect to see more diversity um, with instead of having, you know, the stand-up end on the end of the line, you're going to have guys more around, more, you know, spread out as linebackers. So it's not going to necessarily be like the three, four, or the 4-3, I guess, with the stand-up end, you're going to see more of the legitimate 3-4, you know, more linebackers all over the place. So I'd be excited to see the diversity. I hope it's just not uh, too complicated for our guys. It'll be interesting to see how that transition goes. Uh, speaking yeah. of transitions, I know our fans can talk recruiting and defense all day long. Those are two real mm -hmm. hot-button subjects. But I want to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to yeah. ask Cam first, and then we'll let Mike chime in. Uh, how, guys, how good do you guys think Ryan Williams is going to be next year? Do you think he'll be an upgrade over Stephen Morris? Do you think he'll be about the same, or are we going to lose a little something? Cam? Um, full disclaimer, I've seen Ryan Williams play for five years, you know, uh, going back, you know, to his high school days at Miramar High School uh, where he won a state championship there in 09. Um, he's a very different player than Stephen Morris, and they actually matched up both players' senior years when Morris was at Pace and Williams was at Miramar in the first game of the year. And exactly what you've seen through their careers is emblematic of the kind of players they are. Morris is a better athlete, and he has an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, and we kind of, you know, worked with that system of, Look, we're going to design plays. We're going to take deep shots to take advantage of his amazing arm. And then, like, if a play breaks down and you run around and eventually find somebody, with Stephen Morris, you're going to get that. And that's kind of built in and expected in the offense. Ryan Williams is a very different player. He's taller. I mean, he's he's six five and a half, almost six six. He's 225 pounds. Has a good arm, a strong arm that can make all the throws. But Morris has the strongest arm of anybody that we've had at Miami in a long time. So he's going to have a, a different 
feel to the offense. It's going to be a little bit more timing-based um, with some things. I think in the passing game, I think we might uh, look at implementing some different um, progressions in the intermediate game because he's really good at that, uh, Williams is. Um, and then uh, you take your shots downfield at times, but I don't think that we're going to see as many just home run balls that are in the air for five seconds like we had with Morris. Um, and, you know, maybe he is a little bit of a downgrade uh, because of his game experience and things like that, but I don't necessarily think that it's going from, you know, well, you look at Stephen Morris in the second half of the year when he played poorly, he was a downgrade from himself, really. So, uh, I, yeah, maybe a little bit of a downgrade, but I think it's more that you're going to see the offense run a little bit differently than we've seen it the last three years, more than anything else in Ryan. I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you say. Um, I, I know talking with a lot of fans during the season, you know, they ask questions that, you know, seem pretty simple in, in nature but make a lot of sense. Like, why not more crossing routes? You know, why not get the ball to Dorset in space instead of just bubble screens? You know, throw, you know, the ball crossing over the middle and let him outrun a linebacker, things along those lines, things that we see other teams use against Miami all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, Cam. Mike, how do you feel about Ryan Williams as potentially starting quarterback next year? Um, I would expect more down the middle. I thought we had a lot outside this year, um, and it just may be what Steven's been comfortable with. Um, but I think this year what they need to do is they need to attack the middle. Bo Sandland, Clive Walford, those are really good. Well, Clive has shown it. We're still waiting on Bo a little bit. But I think we need to really start going down the middle a lot more, using our slot receivers more. I thought last year's offense was really feast or famine a lot of times, especially when Morris got hurt. He was, you know, airing the ball out long, and it was picked by corners, picked by safeties, or it was touchdowns, it seemed. Uh, and I think this year is going to be more ball control. I think Cam alluded to it. We're going to see a lot more screens this year. Um, but I would be looking forward to, especially with the other guys that we have coming in um, this year, especially to going down the middle more. I think they're going to attack that, and I think they need to. Um so I'm excited to see that from Ryan Williams. But you're you're not going to see the, you know, bootlegs out, you know, quarterback sneak type stuff because he's just not that type of athlete. But I would expect more of a ball control offense. There will be some explosive plays. But overall, unless you're getting it from the running game, I wouldn't expect as much out of the passing game this year as we've seen the last two or three years. I mean, I just want to follow up on that. Like, I don't necessarily think it's going to be ball control, but I think with the intermediate routes like you were talking about, um, that was obviously just not Stephen Morris' strength. And, yeah, he was sailing the ball um, a lot. And you can talk about if it was an inconsistent uh, footwork because of the injury or whatever. Um, but, I mean, I feel – and I don't necessarily think that we're going to run more screens because especially towards the end of the year, we ran way too many screens for not being that yeah. great at it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's going it's to look a little different. And with the intermediate routes and things like that coming alive um, – It'll change it a little bit. So, yeah, we're not going to go 25 yards down the sideline or three uh, runs and a punt, like that kind of disparity. Um, but, yeah, it's going to shift a little bit. So it's going to be maybe a little bit less on the deep shots or whatever. Um, but, I don't. I mean, ball control, that's like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of like Reggie Ball at Georgia Tech for me, you know. Like, I no, no, I ball only when we can. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be doing, you know, two runs to every pass. I just think that – we were really aggressive last year. And, you know, we had the players for it, um, like quarterback, and then we have the deep threats. And this year I, I think we'll still have the deep threats. We didn't lose – I mean, we lost turns, but 
overall the receiving core is coming back. But I think um, with Ryan Williams, his, you know, he'll be better at the more medium, and we can attack the field that way instead of attacking it more long. Yeah, I hear you on that. Gotcha. Yeah, do you guys feel like um, this is just something that comes to mind for me? Do you feel like that our wide receiver personnel, while deep and talented, do we have the big guy? Um, you know, Clive Walford's an excellent tight end, but do we have the big guy that can go over the middle and make the tough catch, or, or do we have more of the perimeter-type players? Um, uh, Cam, you first. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you've got to run the guys out there, honestly. Um, and I think that we do have those guys. Obviously, you know, with the tight end being the one position group that is stationed on the interior, we have that. Obviously, you're going to have Braxton Berrios and Malcolm Lewis running more slot things. I mean, they're not exactly the same, but they'll both play in that same area. Uh, so the routes that they'll have available will probably be different, but you've got guys that can go over the middle. I mean, you have um, bigger guys. I mean, and even if you run Stacey Coley on a 15-yard square end, I mean, I'm not going to put him running a, uh, a shallow cross in front of a middle linebacker and try to get his head taken off, but even – somebody like that, you can use him in between the hashes if you scheme appropriately. Okay. Mike, you, you agree, disagree? I I think um, the big loss last year was Rashawn Scott for most of the year. Um, he We lost him like the first game, I believe it was, against FAU, and we didn't really get to see what he could do during the year, um, whether it was, you know, suspensions or the injury stuff. I want to see what he can do next year. If he can come in and be a really, really good player, it would be really um, good for us to see. But I think he's a big question mark that could be um, very beneficial to see what happens this year um, to help contribute through the passing game. All right, guys. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here now. Um, We've done a lot of talk about football, and, I mean, we can talk football all day long, I'm sure, uh, between the three of us. But uh, let's talk a subject that's near and dear to my heart, part of what got me into doing this type of thing, the 2014 University of Miami men's basketball team. <laughs> oh, like next uh, year's team. Well, we're, we're going to get to next year's team, but let's talk about this year's team first. Um, gotcha. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I watched yesterday's game at Virginia Tech, and, uh, you know, it was like somebody was pouring lemon juice in my eye. Um, what do you guys think? What, what what can be done? Can they make the NIT? What can be done to improve this team, if anything? Um, or are you just looking forward to next year? I mean, be first. honestly, yeah. It, uh, the thing that has improved us from where we should be to where we are at one game under 500 is Coach Hell, honestly. Um, this is a nine, maybe ten win team on talent. Um and to be 12 and 13 to this point, or 11 and 12, whichever one I forget, um, that just is a testament to his coaching ability uh, and player development. I mean, you've seen Manuel Comp and Davon Reed step up more as the years gone on. Donovan Kirk came in. Uh, and, I mean, I know he had played four years uh, previously or transferred around uh, and came back and everything, but even the way he's been playing uh, at times is improved. So, I mean, it's really Coach L. You're not going to get – I mean, we have to win, what, four out of seven to close the year to get to the NIT? I I mean, it could four happen. Four out of seven would put us at 500. So Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you really need to be about 500 to make the NIT. So, I mean, 
that's really what we're talking about, four out of seven or better. I just, I mean, this team is lacking talent. We were talking about it on Twitter the other day. I mean, it's just, if, if we're close to 500, like, I mean, Coach L really should be considered for a coach of the year, honestly. Um, and that's not trolling. That's not, you know, rumor or conjecture. Like, seriously, that's the kind of amazing job he's done. So what we get can't, this year is what we get. Cam, I've had the same conversations with Juan and Josh and Charlie and all the folks that do basketball in the state of the U. I've had the same conversation that uh, this might be Coach L's finest coaching job considering what he's working with, you know, the, the high turnover on the roster. And, you know, with all due respect to players like Ryan Brown, who's having a great year, and, and Gary Saddams, who's overcome a lot of injuries, um, their their team is basically a collection of guys that on a really good program will be coming off the bench, and, and they're forced to play starters' minutes, and, and they're forced to play starters' roles. And, and I think that well, comes through when you watch them have some of these long scoring droughts. Well, I mean, honestly, there's a couple guys who on really good teams don't play. I yeah. mean, and like I mean, I, I love them all, and you know, we're all Canes, and that's my alma mater, and they're going there also, and you know, representing the institution and everything. And I'm not trying to denigrate them, but just on their talent, like seriously, I mean, if you're looking at at Syracuse, like they're not getting any burn. Jory, Swope, I mean, Adams, who, um, I mean, yeah, was he shooting 35, 34 percent from the floor this year? I mean, he, those guys are not seeing time at teams where, you know, they are contenders for the NCAA tournament to be 21 teams, they're not going to get any clock, let alone the kind of minutes and role and responsibility that they have. So for me, yeah, next year can't come quick enough. All right. Before we move on to next year's team, Mike, do you want to add anything to uh, this year? I know you're more of a football guy, but anything that you want to add about this year's basketball team? No, I'm, I've been watching a little bit, too. Not as much as you guys have, but it's you guys have really said everything. I mean, the best, I guess, kind of analogy or personification you could say is like flying a brick. I mean, if you look at how they fly a space shuttle when they come down, it's really hard because it's you know coming really fast or what have you. But, you know, Coach L is na- navigating the season ridiculously. I mean, you guys have said who they play, but they're in one of the best, probably the best basketball conference in the United States. And the talent on the team is compounding the issue. So it's just been a really tough year. And, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. It's, he's done a heck of a job to change from man defense to zone, to slow down the offense so that we can make sure to keep our guys. Because as Cam said, we're not deep. So you need to conserve energy when you're playing like two pink games a week and all these competition, competitive games, you know, on your schedule here. So the way he's changed from the beginning of the year to now, and then you're starting to notice, you know, the guys developing. But, I mean, when your ceiling is not very high, you know, you can't execute at the way you need to to win against this high competition. So um, he's doing a great job. I'm waiting, you know, excited to see the recruits coming in, as well as I believe it's Burnett getting better from the injury, and then the transfers. You have all of that, you know, being mixed in there. So I'd be excited to see what they do next year. You know, plus whoever can stay over from this year's team will have gained all of those valuable minutes. But you want to see the fight for this year too. I agree with you guys. Yeah, I mean, to close out with what you guys are saying, I'll just give you guys a little stat. Miami's played in 12 games this year, decided by five points or less or in overtime, and they're one and four in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Coach L, they could have beat Syracuse twice. I mean, they're hanging in. He's got these guys playing hard every game, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. This season might not be one where they accomplish much, um, but, but they're really doing their 
themselves and, and Coach Brown with how hard they're playing. Um, yeah, but, I mean, if they uh, even extend out that stat by a little bit, we lost by seven last night, and I think we lost another couple games by seven to nine, and we played the slowest pace of any team in America just because we can't. <laughs> and, you know, if you're looking from last year, Shane Larkin, he was pushing the rock all day every day. Like, we're not going to wait around. We're going to go, and you mm-hmm. get to defend us. And we're the exact polar opposite of that, you know, and – it's not just the five-point games. The seven-point games, that's a three-possession game. A nine-possession game, uh, nine-point game, same thing. So, I mean, the five-point thing is great. But even if you look a little bit further on the outside of that, you can see all these games are really close. And Coach L has already said it openly that he doesn't want to run this type of offense anymore. Well, again, if he doesn't have to. Yeah. Right. Uh, excellent points by both of you guys. I mean, um, uh, com, which is, you know, a website that, your basketball gurus go to, to to pull some of the most used metrics in all of college basketball. List Miami as just as Cam said, the slowest team in college basketball. Uh, they they run the the slowest tempo in the entire NCAA, and that includes mid major, small conferences, anybody. So that pretty much says it all. Um, I'd like to move on to a more pleasant topic. It's also concerning Kane's basketball. Uh, as Mike alluded to, next season they're going to have Sheldon McClellan, who was Texas' leading scorer last year. Uh, he's a six foot six swing man. They're going to have Angel Rodriguez, K-State transfer, second team All Big Twelve, uh, also an All Big Twelve defensive player at point guard. Um, you're going to have uh, DeAndre Burnett uh, returning, who uh, is also Dalvin Cook's older brother. Some of us that uh, follow recruiting know that name very well. Uh, you're also going to have a couple of uh, top 100 players in point guard Jaquan Newton from Philadelphia, um, who may compare to Durant Scott in terms of his style of play. Uh, you're going to have a top 100 power forward in Omar Sherman, who has a good shooting touch out to 18 feet and can really score with his back to the basket. You're also going to have a transfer in Yvonne Cruz Uceda, who's currently playing in Juco right now, who's Scouting report on him is he's sort of a stretch four, could step out and hit some shots, but also does a very good job rebounding the basketball. Perhaps not the most athletic guy. And uh, last but not least, uh, you're going to have a combo guard out of the Washington, D.C. area whose name is slipping my mind for some reason. James Palmer. Um, James Palmer. Thank you, Cam. James Palmer, um, who's a guy that uh, is really doing well his senior year in the D.C. area. So you're going to have this influx of talent. Um, from my perspective, there's no reason why this team, talent-wise, shouldn't be able to compete, compete even with the top teams in the ACC like Duke and Syracuse and North Carolina and so on. To me, the big question is going to be um, how they all gel together and, and how everybody accepts their roles and, and how they share the basketball. So I'm going to start with you, Cam. What's your outlook for next season's basketball team? I mean, it's going to be better than this year. Um, people have been talking about maybe next year's team being better than last year, the 2012 team. That's that's a bridge too far for me. I mean, that was the best team in school history. So I can't just say, hey, next year's going to be better than that. Uh, but with all the talent. And just to interrupt in, you, Cam, I was the one that made that statement on Twitter, and I was rightfully shot uh, down. Oh, yeah, no, but you weren't the only one. And I mean, other people have said the same thing. 
and that's just that, that's way too far for me. Um, this year's team, like we've said with all the close games, needs someone who can get a bucket. And DeAndre yeah. Burnett, I saw him his senior year in Carroll City two years ago. He averaged average 37.3 points a game. So yeah. he's six one, six two, but he was put on this earth to get buckets. You know, so he comes in, he can score. McClellan was a 14 point a game scorer in the Big 12. He can score. Rodriguez, he's another guy who can run the point. Newton, he can come in. He's a point guard. He's six foot three, but also he can slash a little bit with his size, kind of like Durant. Scott, he's really good at going to the hole. You know, and I mean, yeah, just with everybody that's coming equal back, first of all. And all this new talent, and a lot of it has experience with Cruz Uceda being a JUCO transfer and Rodriguez and McClellan having played already at the collegiate level. And Burnett, he's gone through two camps already at Miami but never gotten on the floor. You know, that kind of matters. All those guys, I mean, it's just, you know, 20 and 10 for this team next year, uh, you know, is not outside of the realm of possibilities when you see how close we are with no talent and we're getting all the talent that we're talking about coming in, and El's still going to be the coach. Uh, yeah, I, I think you said it all. Mike, anything to add there? I mean, I, I would say 17 to 20 wins for next year would be nice. Um, the thing, though, is the ACC is just so tough every year, and these teams reload. North Carolina, Duke, you got Louisville, and Syracuse. So, you know... I think in any other conference, we could be looking at, I wouldn't say a repeat of last year, because I completely agree with Cam. That's, that team last year, you're talking about all those seniors playing against, you know, teams that are used to reloading with freshmen. So we had the skill advantage. We had the experience advantage. Uh, you can't really duplicate that. Um, so I would say I would like 17 to 20. I don't really – I haven't studied up on the guys coming in. Um, I know that the transfers from, you know, the other schools could be really good. But, you know, we got to just see. It's just going to be really tough because the conference is really good. Um, so we'll just have to go from there, I guess. That's why they right, play the guys, game, right? That's right. Guys, we're under five minutes uh, on, on our inaugural debut State of the U podcast. Uh, something I'd like to do just to close out the show is touch on something that's a little – non-game related, or NCR, as they say online. Um, this year, looks like Kevin Durant is possibly having the best season of, of what's already been a very good career. Really briefly, and I'll go to you first, Mike, Kevin Durant or LeBron James for an NBA MVP this year, and why? Kevin Durant, because he has players around him, but not as good as what the Heat have, even though they may be older. That. That's a fair answer. Now, Cam, before you answer, do realize that uh, all ten out of the ten people that probably listen to this, nine of them are going to be Heat fans. Kevin Durant yeah. or LeBron James? No pressure. I, no, hey, there's, trust me. You know that I have no problem sharing my opinion on anything, regardless of backlash. <laughs> I'm a basketball fan. I'm a basketball lifer. Uh, LeBron James, he's the best player on God's green earth. He is still yeah. playing. But even though... Kevin Durant had a great month, month and a half, yeah. uh, outside of his brain. I mean, I saw the game, you know, down here, all those games doing 40 and 50 and just amazing things. If you look at LeBron, he's putting up like 32, 12, and 8, and nobody's talking about that because that's become his standard of excellence. Nah, mm-hmm. give me LeBron still. Because if you look for the entire season, regardless of, because, I mean, look, 
they still have players in OKC. Like, I know that they're not the greatest, but it's not like Kevin Durant playing with, you know, the 2008 um, Cleveland Cavaliers up there. Mm-hmm. But if you look through the whole season and compare them, yeah, not even close. LeBron James, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, former uh, Boston College Eagle Reggie Jackson is starting to turn some heads for OKC. He's He's been playing really well in the absence of Westbrook. Um, I'm 50-50 on this debate. Um, I'm 50-50 on this debate. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see somebody else win it, so I have a slight bias for Durant because this might be the only year until LeBron retires that he gets a shot at it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can't deny. Uh, the thing that people, you know, have started to talk about more is the way LeBron can guard positions one through five. That It's something unique that he brings to the table um, that I have never seen personally in my life of 30-plus years watching basketball. Well, guys, uh, on that note, uh, the cyber producer of the show is telling me that uh, it's almost time to close out. I appreciate you guys joining. For those that stood through and listened to this, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, We promise to get Larry the Amigo Million on here next time, and uh, we'll try and get some guests as well. Thank you, everybody. All right. Thank you for having me on.